0: What do you want to be when you grow up? We've asked the question countless times to the kids in our lives. Children's answers can range from the practical, like a doctor, a teacher, a police officer, to the statistically unlikely, like an astronaut, a pro athlete, or even president of the United States. And sometimes they're just plain fanciful, a princess, a superhero, or a dragon tamer, and that's just on Tuesday. Ask them again on Wednesday or Thursday, and you could get a completely different list. There's something in us though, even from a young age, that knows we are made to do something meaningful with our lives, something that matters. We're all asking the question, why am I here? As we continue our series, Digital Babylon, Faith for Exiles, we're going to look at the ideas of work and vocation or calling and see what sets apart resilient disciples. Remember we're looking at data from young adults who have grown up in the church and we can sort them into four categories. The prodigals, the nomads, the habitual churchgoers, and the resilient disciples. Prodigals are the 22% who have chosen to leave the church. Nomads, are those who still identify as Christian, but are unconnected to a local church. Next are the habitual churchgoers, the 38% who have been to church in the last month, but who do not exhibit the values and practices of a disciple. Finally, we have the resilient disciples, the 10% of those raised in the church, who are serious about their personal faith and the way it intersects meaningfully, and missionally with the world around them. We're looking at the characteristics of these resilient disciples to see what we can learn about being and forming followers of Jesus who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live vibrant lives in the Spirit. The data was distilled down to five principles, five practices that mark resilient disciples. We've already looked at intimacy with Jesus, cultural discernment, and meaningful intergenerational relationships. Today we're going to talk about vocational discipleship. Here's how Kinnaman and Matlock define vocational discipleship. Knowing and living God's calling, especially in the arena of work, and right-sizing our ambitions to God's purposes. So we're talking about work. And I think a lot of times, work gets a bad rap. We think of work as something we have to do, an obligation, a chore, or maybe even a curse. And when we take that view, we're looking at at work through a post-fall lens. Maybe you remember in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God told Adam, beginning in verse 17, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it, and all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." Side note, for you married men out there, not a great idea to quote Genesis 3.17 the next time your wife asks why you didn't listen to her about something. Or so I've been told. Anyway, one of the results of Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God was that work got harder. But it wasn't work itself that was the curse. Let's take a few minutes and talk through our scripture reading for today. You know, in Genesis 1, we're told that humanity, both male and female, were made in God's image. They were made to rule over creation, extending God's order. And they were to be fruitful and multiply. Then in Genesis 2, we read the second account of God's creating the man and the woman. And in verse 15, we read that God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work was part of God's good creation. Before we ever even got to the fall and the curse, While creation was still what God called very good. Work wasn't a consequence of the fall. Rather, it was frustration and diminished results in the work that was the curse. So, if work isn't a bad thing, if it is, in fact, a good thing, how should we think about it? The arena of work is where we discover our calling and find meaning and purpose. You know, most teacher, uh, most teenagers today say their top goals are to complete their education and land a great paying job where they can make a difference. They want their lives to matter. And remember, a couple weeks ago I told you that 26% Just over a quarter of teens think that they will probably or definitely be famous by the time they turn 25. And before we go blaming the young people for being so entitled, the research shows us that the goals that Christian parents have for their children are largely indistinguishable from the goals of non-Christian parents. Our young people aren't coming up with these ideas on their own. Friends, if we are going to raise resilient young disciples, we must become resilient older disciples. A biblical view of work is crucial as we disciple the younger generations, but it's just as essential to building faith in older generations as well. We need to show them an engaging vision of vocation and equip them for a life of kingdom-centered work. We've got to redefine what success looks like and ground that definition in what Jesus says about success. Seek first a cushy job? No. Seek first a a six-figure salary? No. Seek first a corner office? No. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added to you. The rest of what you need by the way, not necessarily what you want. To get to a biblical view of work, we have to start with the idea that every job, every profession, everything we do matters to God. There's this myth that exists within the culture of digital Babylon that there's a divide between the sacred, the things that matter to God, and the secular, the things God doesn't really care about. And if we're honest, I think we'd prefer it that way. We want the God stuff to fit into a nice little box that we can pull out when we want to be spiritual, but we don't really want it messing with the rest of our lives. God can have my church time, maybe even a few minutes of Bible reading and prayer each day, but my work time, my entertainment time, my free time, God doesn't need to mess with that. Or so we're led to believe. But it's absolutely untrue. God is after our whole heart. Whole life transformation is what God is working within us. And that has got to extend into the area of our work. Because there's no sacred-secular divide there either. We don't have to go into full-time professional ministry in order to serve God in our work. Some are called to that. Pastors, missionaries, etc. But those are not the only vocational callings that God gives us. Our calling, as Frederick Buechner puts it, is the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. God made each one of us unique and distinct. You have your own personality, your own preferences and desires, your own interests and concerns. God made you, you, and He loves who you are. And God wants to take who you are, make you wholly set apart for Him. And God wants to empower you to live into your calling. You see, we're all called by God. In a general sense, we're all called to Christ. But we're also called in a more specific sense to live out that call in our individual context. It's the Holy Spirit that equips us on this Pentecost Sunday to follow those callings, to be faithful servants and witnesses in the areas God calls us to. And that's going to look different for different people. You're not all called to be a pastor, but I am. And that's a good thing, by the way. Who would I pastor if everyone was a pastor? But in the same way, I'm not called to be an elementary school teacher, or an attorney, or a mechanic, or a scientist. But some of you are. And that's how it's supposed to be. God told the church in 1 Corinthians 12, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them all to each one, just as he determines. We're all made and gifted by God. To play a unique role in the kingdom work God is doing in the world and in our workplaces. And if that's true, we've got to get away from the idea that our lives can be split into a sacred sphere and a secular sphere. And begin to live in the reality that God wants to work in and through the entirety of our lives. This means that if we're going to be and form resilient disciples... We need to help our young people understand this idea of calling, and we need to help them identify their own calling. Too often in the church in America, we've believed the lie that some callings are more sacred than others. Instead of helping young people understand their work in the context of God's kingdom... We watch as people choose their careers and only once they've settled into them and learned some skills do we think about how those skills could help the church. Imagine if we started to speak into people's lives what we see of who God made them to be and the gifts we see that God has given them and help them to see that they can honor God in whatever area of work he is calling them. Imagine if we could learn to to shape the holy imagination of our young people about how they can participate in God's kingdom work through their vocation and redefining what success looks like. People want their work to matter. They want to know there's an answer to the question, why am I here? Just think about the difference it would make in your own life if To know that you are doing what God created you to do. Bezalel and Aholiab are two names from the Old Testament you might not be too familiar with. But they had exactly this kind of experience. In Exodus 31, God is speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai. God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments and instructions for building the tabernacle. The focal point of Israelite worship following the Exodus. And just as God finishes telling Moses all these exact specifications, God says, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Talk about a calling. God tells Moses, who will go on to tell the people, this is exactly how I want you to create the place where my presence ...is going to dwell in your midst. Oh, and by the way, these two guys, it's their job, their calling, their vocation to do it. I know there have been a few times in my life where I've wished wished that God would have been so clear... ...about what he wanted me to do. Discipleship is about learning to follow Jesus... The focus was never meant to be on getting more people in a pew on Sunday morning or even in a Bible study on Wednesday night. The goal is for people to experience the kind of whole life transformation that makes a difference in the way they live their lives Sunday through Saturday and draws people into a relationship with God. There's no divide between the sacred and the secular. Our work is meant to be an extension of God's work in the world. Author Sky Jithani has written on connecting our faith with the idea of vocation, and he believes that God's design for work can be broken down into three categories of influence. Creating beauty, cultivating abundance, and generating order. Interestingly, the research shows the kind of careers that teens and young adults are most interested in today can also be put into three categories. Creative careers, entrepreneurial careers, and science-oriented careers. They're using different language to talk about the same kind of categories. Now, I want to be clear that vocational discipleship is not just giving career advice helping people find a profession that makes them feel happy and fulfilled but we want do we want people to feel happy and fulfilled absolutely but the best way to accomplish that is by orienting our lives our work included toward Jesus and his calling for us it's about finding our identity in the in our intimacy with Jesus and letting Him determine the work we do. It's about using cultural discernment and allowing scripture to redefine for us what success looks like. And it's about getting close enough to people in meaningful relationships that they can speak into our lives about our giftings and our calling. As a church, we want to talk about these ideas with our kids from a young age. And even more than just talking about them, We want to live out these ideas in our own lives. We want them to know that their faith and what they want to be when they grow up are inseparable. We want them to know they are creators, not just consumers, because they're made in the image of a creating God. We want them to be able to help others discover who God made them to be, because someone took time to help them discover who God made them to be. The evidence is clear that the most resilient Christians are stronger when we connect discipleship and vocation. They live more integrated lives and understand at a deeper, more essential level that God cares about the work that they do and with every aspect of their lives. We were created to bear the image of our working God in the world, creating beauty cultivating abundance and generating order God has called us not only to a relationship with him but to participation with him in the work he is doing in the world the same Holy Spirit that came with wind and fire on the day of Pentecost the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now empowers us the followers of Jesus With the gifts we need to play our role in strengthening the body and reaching the world. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a resilient disciple who can remain faithful in the face of cultural coercion of digital Babylon. I want to be a resilient disciple who lives a vibrant life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful today, this Pentecost Sunday, for your empowering spirit, your presence with us and within us. We're grateful that you've called each one of us to yourself and that you've empowered us and gifted us to follow you, to serve the body, and to reach the world around us. God, we pray that you would help us to identify Give us ears to hear exactly where you're calling us in our vocations. Help us to see that all that we do, day in, day out, Sunday through Saturday, is to bring glory to you and is to draw people into a relationship with you. So God, we pray that you would help us. Help us to hear those those callings. Help us to to understand and identify the giftings you've given us, and then help us to use them for the sake of your church, the sake of your kingdom, the sake of the world. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, brothers and sisters, before Ray sings us out, I want to leave you with this benediction. From Paul in the book of First Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.